0: Mark chapter number 5, I'd like to just read 19 verses. That may sound small, amen, but it's not. And uh, no, I'm joking, it'll be over before you know it, probably painless. But uh, let's read the first 19 verses of the book of Mark chapter number 5, one of the most fascinating chapters in all of the Word of God. And we draw our attention in upon a man that we know as the Maniac of Gadara. I want to read this story to you. you. Listen carefully as I read. Beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Can I, can I just interject right here, and can I say that that's when it changed? Amen? Isn't that when it changed? It's okay to not worship. Is everybody all right this evening? That's when it changed in his life. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. This man's life was never the same when he saw Christ and his love and his compassion. I believe the Lord still changes us, don't you? It says in verse number 7, And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. All the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what, was, what it was that was done. Verse 15 says, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Verse 19, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, "Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion. On thee, I want to read that again. How be it Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd bless your word. Lord, that you'd lift up the high and holy name of your Son in our midst. Father, help us to see him increase and us decrease tonight. Father, I pray that the devil would not gain the victory in even the least part of the service, but that your Holy Spirit would have liberty tonight to do in us what needs to be done. If there's one amongst us lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. One that's discouraged, Lord, uplift them. One that's haughty, that they'd be abased. But God, whatever it is, we pray that it draws closer to you, Lord. We know if it's your will, that it will. Father, I just pray that you'd do it in a way that'd bring you glory and honor. We love you tonight, Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Most of us have read this passage very many times, and uh, there's nothing new in this passage. It's the same passage that it was the first time that you read it, amen? God's Word isn't changing, it doesn't change, and it's still the same. But tonight, I just want us to look at this phrase in verse number 19, where the Lord tells this man that he has recently healed from demon possession, from devil possession, and changed his life, and renovated his existence, and made him a new creature. And this man has a desire to go and to be with the Lord. But there's a job that's left for him to do. Can I say, I was thinking as we were uh, singing that song, or listening to Melissa sing that song, Heaven's Getting Sweeter All the Time. It, it seems, and I'm not by any means an old man, I feel like it sometimes, but I'm not. Uh, but as I'm living, it seems like heaven just continues to become more and more real. Somebody say amen right there, if that's true in your life. And it seems as though there's more and more of a heart's cry, like, like John said, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I'm conscious that you and I, brethren, we have a job to do while we're in this earth. We have a responsibility. We have something that God has called us to do. And I believe in this passage, we have an idea of the job that God has called me and you to do. The Lord did not command this maniac or former maniac to go and build a vast church. He didn't command him to go and start a new denomination. He didn't command him to go and feed the hungry and uh, shoe those that had no shoes on their feet. He didn't command him just to go around and do good. He didn't command him to go around and spread joy, although I believe all those things are probably good things uh, in some way or in some respect. But what the Lord commanded this man to do was one singular truth and one singular job. And that was to go home and to tell his friends what the Lord had done in his life. We live in a day that is cast off testimonial soul winning. We live in a day where it's been boiled down and watered down to just a simple five point thought straight out of the book of Romans or the book of uh, uh, Psalms or uh, any number of the books of the Word of God. You say, Preacher, are you opposed to that? No, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm saying this. God puts an emphasis on testimonial soul winning. And you say, Preacher, what is testimonial soul winning? Testimonial soul winning is as opposed to saying, if you died right now, where would you go? Testimonial soul winning is saying, hey, let me tell you what Jesus Christ did for me. That's the difference. And we see that when God moved in this man's life and saved his soul, He did not necessarily command him to take a track and to go, although that's a good thing to do. But He said, go home and tell them what I've done for you. Go home and tell them the change I've made in your life. Go home and tell those that are closest to you what I can do for them. I believe we ought to use all the tools we have at our disposal. I believe we ought to use a gospel track. I believe we ought to use Romans Road if we've got it. But I don't believe we should shy away from sharing with others what Christ has done for us. I believe our soul winning has been weakened because we've not embraced testimonial soul winning. People can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your testimony. It happened in your life. And every time Paul went to give his testimony or uh, every time Paul addressed a large crowd, he didn't say open in your Bibles because he couldn't say open in your Bibles. They didn't have them. And so instead, he rather stood and beckoned with the hand, and he said, men and brethren, and it will always go something like this, I was on the road to Damascus one day, and God showed up in my life and shined the light of his word into my soul, and knocked me off the high horse of my self-righteousness, and saved me by his grace and changed my life. Paul wasn't trying to have a theological debate with a theologically dead person. Instead, he was just telling them what Christ had done for him. I think we need to be careful about having theological arguments with people that are spiritually dead. We'll get nowhere. The woman at the well tried to do this in John chapter number 4. Whenever Christ uh, faced her and, and uh, began to reveal uh, the truth of the gospel unto her, she wanted to have a theological debate. And she said, well, you know, uh, where exactly should we worship? Do we worship in Jerusalem, as your father say? Or in these mountains, as my father say? And you know what the Lord said? He said, you know not what you worship. He said, you're spiritually dead. You don't know what you're talking about. Your need is not worship. Your need is regeneration. And she tried to say, well, you know, one of these days, the Messiah, he's going to come. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. He said, listen, he's standing right in front of you and he offers salvation full and free. She tried to delay the inevitable, the choice she had to make. You see, the the fact of the matter is we're not called to dazzle people with our theology. We're called to tell them what Christ has done in our life. And we find in this passage that the singular commandment that our Lord gave to this man was to go and to tell. I want to give you five things that I see very quickly. And I don't know a neighbor, but he's done this in my life. Let me say we it ought to start with our friends. Can I say that? I, I'm all for going out and we do it. We go out and we, uh you know, cold knock on doors or give out tracks or we do things like that. And I believe you ought to do that. I think that's good. I think the Lord calls us to do that. I think we have a responsibility to share the gospel no matter where we go. But it's interesting that we go to people that have no reason to trust us and tell them the truth and avoid people that have every reason to trust us and don't tell them the truth. He didn't say go and tell others that you do not know, although I'm sure he was going to do that. But instead, he said, go home to thy friends first and tell them. Go to those that know you. Hey, go to those that knew what you were and now see what you are and tell them what I've done in your life. I'm not opposed to it. I think we ought to. I think we ought to take and use all the tools that we can. But I don't think we ought to shy away from sharing with others what Christ has done in our life. Not just what he did in someone else's, what he did in my life. And you sharing what he did in your life. And so he tells this man, go home and tell thy friends. I think there's five things this man would have said, and I'm just going to give them to you quickly tonight. I think one of the first things, if you just talk to this maniac of Gadara, and I felt like I have sometimes with some people, haven't you, Brother Ralph? If you were to talk to this man, and if you were to say, I want you to tell me what happened, I think it would start off this way. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, when they came on the other side. You know what I think he would have said? I think the first thing he would have said about the Lord is, he came to me. He came. When no one else would come to me, He came to me. When no one else could reach me, He could reach me. He wasn't waiting on me to get righteous enough to go to Him. But instead, He bore my iniquity that He might come to me. He wasn't waiting on me to clean myself up. He was waiting on me to come to Him so that He could clean me up. When no one could do anything in my life, He came to me. I'm going to be honest with you, I, a 10-year-old a boy don't even know he needs to be saved until he's told. And I'd been told my whole life and still didn't know it, but when the Holy Ghost told me, I knew it. I knew it. And the truth of the matter is some of you could give testimony after testimony after testimony of a life lived with a gospel witness present in some way and people that had tried to share with you the gospel and they had spent time after time telling you you're lost, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. And it meant nothing until the sweet Holy Ghost of God revealed it to you. And then it became real to you. You know what that was? You weren't going to Him. He came to you. He came to you. He say, preacher, are you saying he comes to some and he doesn't go to others? No, I'm saying that through his word and his spirit, we all have the opportunity to be saved. But I'm saying without his word and without his spirit, we're not even aware of our need to be saved. He came to him. Aren't you thankful the Savior came to you? You couldn't go to him. I like what the song says, and, and, Carrie, if you's gonna, if you's gonna sing two verses, I wish you'd sung the last one twice. That one's better anyway, amen. But, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. And oh, the grace that brought it down to man. And oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. I mean, listen, friend, our arms weren't long enough to reach Him, but His hand is not shortened. Our righteousness could not even appeal any more than filthy rags, but he robed us in his righteousness. Our love knew nothing but the appeasement of our flesh. But his love extended beyond the boundaries of the alienated and hopeless and helpless and eternally damned enemies of God and reached into the heart of the sinner. That's the kind of God we've got. I think first thing he'd say is he came. But I think the second thing he'd say is he cared. He cared. This man was a man whose life was defined by a lack of compassion. I mean, this was a man that society had considered him an outcast. In fact, the Bible uses the, uh, the terminology, it says no man could tame him. And that word implies the idea of disciplining a beast. Almost like if a if a work mule or a work animal was disobeying, and you might uh, take a sapling and begin to beat it across the head or across the back, something to discipline, something to force someone and make someone do something. Literally, they had treated this fellow like an animal. He had been uh, he had been uh, sectioned off into the outward parts of the city and having his habitation within graveyards. He would cry out in the middle of the night and he would cut himself. He had no peace. He had no rest. He had no respect from others. He was a man that was bankrupt of human contact and bankrupt of compassion. Can I tell you, we live in a world full of people that are bankrupt of compassion. We've kind of bought this thing that we live in a gospel-hardened society. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this world just waiting to hear somebody cares for them. There's a lot of people in this world that never dream that someone really cares about them. I don't mean someone cares about how they can help them. I mean, somebody cares about them without expecting anything in return. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says when they departed out of the ship, immediately there came to them a man with an unclean spirit. Now, you know what I would expect? I mean, in in my frail, carnal human mind, if if I was writing this story, if you used to ask me without ever reading it to me, if you used to ask me, how do you think this story went? I'm sorry, but I just, a God as holy as our God, you'd expect him to step away, wouldn't you? I mean, you would expect, here's this man with demons within him. Here's this man, unclean and full of iniquity. Here's this man, I mean, he's filthy, he's covered in blood and scars. He's naked, he's isolated from society. And here's this man, he comes and he runs to the Savior. And I, boy, I'm glad Jesus isn't like me, Ralph. (laughs) Because if it had been me, I would have stepped away, you know. I mean, I'm glad the Lord's not like me. We'd all be in a mess if he was like me. You know it, amen? Now you're going to go home and wonder what I meant by that, amen? You're going to sit at home and you're going to think, he'd smite me if he had a chance. I know he would. (laughs) I'm just thankful Lord's not like me, because I know how I would have reacted. And I would have took that step backwards. But the Bible records no such thing to us. The Bible records to us. (laughs) And it says it there in verse number 19. Hath had compassion on me. Jesus cares. So simple. But Jesus cares. Do you remember what it was like when you first realized that he cared about you? And I'm going to be honest. It's almost a progressive thing in the sense of it just. It becomes more real and more real and more real to me, brother Ralph. How much God loves me. And how little I deserve it. I, I mean, it's a shame that when we ain't got nothing else to praise him for, we can't praise him for his love. It, it, it's a shame. I mean, it's it's and I'm not talking about standing up in a testimony service, I'm not talking about shouting, I'm not talking about doing backflips. I'm saying it is a problem in our life when we're not conscious of the love of God and how much he cares about us. You know, the book of 1 Peter says casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This man said, everybody else treated me like a dog, but the Son of God, He loved me. Everybody else pushed me to the outskirts of society. I was a reject and a reprobate. I was damned and destined for hell. Oh, but the Savior, He cared about me. I was an outcast of society. Society did not want me around. The only company I had was the lonely tombstones of a countryside graveyard. Oh, but the Son of God, He loved me. When no one cared, he cared. When no one loved, he loved. It's not just that he came, but when he got there, he cared. It made a difference. It changed his life forever, the love of God did. Can I say the love of God has changed my life forever? It's changed me. It's changed me to know that God loves me. It's changed me to know that God loves you. It's changed me to know that God loves each and every sinner born in this world. He loves them. He cares. I think this man would say, well, the first thing he did in this laundry list of things God had done for him, he came to me when I could not go to him. You know, so far as we know, this is the only trip our Lord ever made to this city. And if you read the rest of this passage, you know what you find that he does? He gets right back on the boat and he and he leaves. They prayed that he would depart out of their coast. And so far as we know, this maniac was the only reason our Savior was in the country of the Gadarenes. (laughs) Do you know if you were the only one, he would have still came? (laughs) I can see it. You forgive me. I know this ain't really sermon manners. But I I can just see it, Brother Ralph. I, I can see that man sitting there. And I can see the look on his face when he sees the Savior coming. Here's this man that just calmed a raging sea. And he thinks to himself, I bet that man can do something in my life. And he sees this man and he comes and steps off the boat into this sinner's world. And he drops everything that he was doing and he runs headlong and he falls at his feet and he worships him. That must have been an awe inspiring thing. But let's fast forward the story to something I think was a little more awe inspiring for this man. Can you imagine the look on his face? When he saw the Savior turn to leave and he realized that he came all that way (laughs) just for him. (laughs) Can can you imagine? I I mean, can you imagine what ran through the mind and heart of this former maniac? I'd say (laughs) reality was seeming a little bit more maniacal than what he had expected. When he considers that the Almighty Son of God came all that way just for Him. I'm thankful I'm not the only person that can be saved, Brother Ralph. I'm thankful. But boy, it does this sinner's heart good to know that even if I was, He still would have done it. Even if I was, He still would have done it. Even if I was the only one, and even if you were the only one, He would have still done it. You know why that is? It's because He cares. It's because He cares about you individually. It's because he cares about your life and your heart and your soul. It's because he careth for you. I think he'd say a third thing, Brother Ralph. I think he'd say he came. I think he'd say he cares. But I think he'd say, you know what? He cures. He cures. The Bible says in verse number 8 that our Lord said, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Down in verse number 13, we have the actual uh, casting out of the demons recorded. But you know what I believe That this man would have said I believe this man would have said the Son of God He fixed the problem. You know the problem with most sinners, they don't know what the problem is. They don't realize, they're not aware. They know something's missing. They don't know what. And they know their life is skewed and topsy turvy. And they know there's no peace. They know there's no joy, but they don't know what it is. And I don't know what this man's life was like. We have no introduction to it other than what's given in uh, Mark chapter 5 and in the other two gospel accounts. They all begin basically with this man as a maniac. But at some point in that man's life, he hadn't been. Probably at some point in his life, he had been just like any of us. I do not know what got him in this situation. I do not know what it was that caused him to open his life and heart to demonic possession. I do not know what it was that caused him to turn his back on those around him and consequently those to turn their back on him. I do not know. But let me just let me just use all sanctified imagination and say, you know, it could be he got that way because he tried everything else. It it could be that this man's path began when he when he was aware of his sorrow. It could have been that this man's pathway began when he was aware that something was wrong in his life and he began to try to fix it. Do you remember what the Bible says about the woman with an issue of blood? That she went to many physicians and she spent all that she had upon physicians, all of her living. She'd tried everything. I imagine if you were to know this maniac's name, there probably would have been a time in his distant past when you could have found him in the tavern trying to drink a piece into his life. You might have found him at the sorcerer's tent, trying to find some type of narcotic to solve his soul's angst. You might have found him down at the houses of ill repute, trying to find a relationship that could satisfy his life. You might have found him in various situations. You might have found him there at his job, working diligently to try to fill the hole in his life with money. You might have found him as he started a family and gained some in his life that he could love and care for, hoping that that would solve his soul's desire. And you might have found a lot of things. But in Mark chapter 5, we don't find him in any of those places. In Mark chapter 5, we find him in the graveyard where he's given up hope. We find him with a self-destructive attitude and self-destructive actions. But it's here he found a cure. You see, all those other things didn't work. And probably this man could give a testimony to another man on his path to a maniac's existence, and he could say, you're trying liquor, but liquor won't do it. You're trying illicit relationships, but illicit relationships won't do it. You're trying narcotics, but narcotics won't do it. You're trying to fill that gap with family relationships, and that's good, but those won't solve it. You're trying to solve it with money in your life, and you're trying to solve it with prosperity, and you're trying to solve it with good works, and you're trying to solve all these things. But come to me and let me show you a man that has a cure for what you're going through. Let me show you a man that can fix it. Let me show you a man that can give you peace. You know, oh my goodness, boy, that's really what we just need to get back to, Brother Ralph. We try to dazzle people with our theology. When people aren't looking for theology, they're looking for peace. We need to get to a place where we come to people and we say, let me tell you about a man that can give you peace. Let me tell you about a man that can forgive you of your sins and change your life and give you something that no one else and nothing else can. That's what changes lives. That's what changes existence. I believe he'd say that this man, he came. I believe he'd say he cares. I believe he'd say he cures. But I believe he'd say he creates a new creature when he saves. Him. Verse number 15 says that when they saw the man that he was clothed, boy, it ought to tell us something, shouldn't it? I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not here to be a bad guy. But that ought to tell us something. That on the one hand, you have a man in his right mind and he's clothed. On the other hand, you've got somebody that's not in their right mind and they're not. That's simple. That ought to make sense to us. But it says he was clothed in his right mind, seated at the feet of Jesus. What a change. What a change. That was what drew them out of the town and out of the countryside. That was what drew them from far and wide. It wasn't a theological discourse, but it was a supernatural change that had taken place. I still believe when God saves a man, he changes him. I know that's not in vogue, and I know people don't like it, and I know that that blows a lot of professions right out of the realm of common sense. But I just can't escape the Word of God when it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Try as we may with circumstances and seeming exceptions, and we cannot obliterate this eternal truth that when God saves a man, He changes him. It changes his life. I believe that this man could have said, he changed me. He created a new creature. He made my life new. I want things I didn't want before and I hate things that I used to want. I love things I hated and I hate things I love. My whole life is different since the Savior came in. Things that I used to had no interest in, I can't live without. And things that I thought I couldn't live without. I have no interest in any longer. I believe that he would have said he creates. But I believe he would have said one more thing and I'm going to close. I believe he would have said he commissions. We come full circle back to verse number 19. But you know what really that the Lord did for this man? We tend to think of a commission as a responsibility rather than as a purpose. You say, what's the difference? What's the significance? If I was to ask you this, how many of you want a responsibility? You'd all say, no, thank you. I mean, kids, but they don't know any better. Amen. (laughs) They They don't know what responsibility is. They say, yeah, I want some responsibility. Go mow the yard. Amen. Even that's exciting for the first little while. And then they grow up and realize It's just like that bad day when you're driving to work and you're behind someone slow. It's just like that, only for hours at a time, and it don't get no better. you got to do it every week or two, four or five, if you can manage it like I do. (laughs) No, but if I was to say, how many of you want purpose in your life? That would be something entirely different. You say, what's the difference between responsibility and purpose? The attitude of the person carrying out what's been given to them. That's the difference. You can see it as a burden if you wish. But this man, newly born again, a new babe in Christ, he hadn't been taught to be jaded yet. He hadn't been taught to be backslidden yet. He didn't know no better. He just wanted to serve the Lord. He hadn't got burnt yet by somebody's negativity. He hadn't got burnt by someone's lack of service. He hadn't got burnt by this, burnt by that. He hadn't got burnt by somebody's backbite. He didn't know no better. He just said, I want to do something for you. Let me just be close to you, just where you're at, Lord. And the Lord said, heretofore you've spent your life in wandering, but now you'll spend it in working. And heretofore you've been a pilgrim with no purpose, but now you'll be a purposed man traveling as a pilgrim. Here you've had nothing, now you have everything and you'll give that to someone else. Go home and tell thy friend what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Gave him a purpose in life, something to live, something that matters. It's high time we look at our life and ask ourselves, is what I'm living for worth Christ dying for? It's high time we look at our lives and ask ourselves, is what I'm doing mattering in the grand scope of eternity? Say, Preacher, are you saying everybody's going to be in full-time ministry? No. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying everybody has a ministry. Everybody. Everybody has a work to do. Everybody has a cause that they are to employ. Everybody has a job in the body of Christ. We all do. He commissioned this man. You know what I think this man would have said? Because this is just how kids are. I mean, if you let a kid, and I'll go back to what I was talking about, if you let a kid mow the yard, how many of you ever seen a kid do this? How many of you ever, when your kid first mowed the yard, your child, when they first mowed the yard, they wanted to tell everybody they had mowed the yard. Did it, did that ever happen? I mean, they was excited. They want to tell mama and papa I rode on the riding mower, I got to mow the yard. They didn't know any better. They hadn't learned to hate it yet like us adults. They didn't know no better. And uh, if I know kids correctly, and I, I used to be one, they probably went to school or went to their friends and said, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you what I got to do. And they might have even had some friends that said, boy, I wish I'd get to do that. See, they had not learned the drudgery yet. It's just naive, just children. You remember what it was like when you first got saved and you didn't know you were supposed to dread church? You remember what it was like when you got saved and you didn't know tithing was a burden yet? You remember what it was like when you got saved and you didn't know it was embarrassing to tell people about Christ. And not only did you do those things, you did them happily. Not only did you do them happily, but you want other people to be saved so that they could do that too. You see, I, I, I kind of believe he would have went and said, he gave me a reason to live. And he can give you a reason to live. He came to me when I could not go to him. He cared about me when no one cared for me. He cured me when nothing could cure me. He created in me a new creature when nothing was anything but death. And he commissioned me and gave me a purpose in life when my life had just been wandering and just been loneliness. I think you and I got to get I think we got to get back to just going and telling our friends what great things God hath done for us. Most of us, if we'd stop and think, we'd never run out. Most of us could do more convincing the sinner of his need of salvation by sharing the reality and presence of God in our life than we ever could by trying to dazzle them with our theology or trying to hamstring them into a forced profession. If we just tell them what Christ can do for them. I'm afraid that sometimes we're not willing to because we're afraid Christ can't do for them what he did for us. I'm afraid sometimes we won't employ this strategy because we're afraid that they're going to accept the Savior and He's not going to be for them what He was for us. That's just doubt is all that is. (laughs) Because God's made a promise that He's no respecter of persons. He will do in the life of our family what He's done in our life. He'll do in the life of our friends what He's done in our life. He'll do in the life of our co-workers and our neighbors. On and on we could go to an infinite uh, a mass of hearts in this world. And reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. By simply telling them how great things God. Hath done for us. And how he hath had compassion on us.